Hello everyone and welcome to the Home Buyer Club podcast with me, Joe Thompson. And today we're lucky enough to have our first guest on, Simon Meadows. Now Simon is a business coach and he has been in business for 28 years, 14 of which he's spent as a coach. So thank you so much for coming on to the show, Simon. That's all right, glad to be here. Really appreciate it. Now, firstly, what I want to do is just do a few quick fire questions, a bit of a... Right, you choose what which one you'd prefer. Okay, they're a little bit silly, but it's just to warm us up a little bit. So yeah, yeah. we'll start. Good for that. We'll start off. Okay, hot or cold? Hot. Shorts or trousers? Oh, shorts. <laughs> do you call it a hot tub or a jacuzzi? A hot tub every time. <laughs> Left or right? Mind, I used to sell hot tubs. So definitely, <laughs> definitely not a jacuzzi. Jacuzzi is a trade Never call trade it a jacuzzi. Brand. Good. I'll bear that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone listening? It's a hot tub, okay? <laughs> it's a hot tub. Left or right? Right. Football or rugby? Neither. Neither. <laughs> Apple or Samsung? Apple. Every time. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Self-made or lottery winner? Self-made. Yeah, I'm glad you've said that. That's it. Yeah, those are some quick fire questions. Good. And do you know what? That last one, that self-made one, I think you would appreciate the money more because you've made it yourself rather than just winning the lottery. Yeah, you say that, but I've, I've had a few friends over the years that have won uh, lottery amounts. Uh, I had a friend who was the first person in the UK to win double figures in the lottery and I think you're right when they first win it uh, one there's a lot more help now because I'm going back a long long time ago when the lottery first launched get a lot more help now but he won it and lost most of it in about 18 months two years Wow! but because he'd won it he got a taste for it and he got it all back he then became the self-made person because he'd had a taste of it liked it and didn't want to be without it so he worked really hard then and he got back to being a millionaire again so that's uh, fantastic yeah, we, used to, we used to run British superbike teams together he was in one team and we were the competition in another team so yeah yeah right. so that makes right. sense but it, but it can be a combination of both definitely that's that well do you know that's such a, a great story isn't it it's like um rags to riches to nearly rags to back to riches but done it himself yeah good on him that's that's really good you you do see some horror stories now coming around about lottery winners that do win flutter it all away but like you said there was little education back then where i guess there is a lot more help now and support for people which is always good yeah i think this ties in with the topic of of this podcast as well because you know i'm a bit of a spender yeah, you know, I make no bones about that. I like nice things, uh, and you know, when you see a lottery win and you see somebody won a hundred and ninety million, and people often say to to myself and my wife, "How can you win that much money? How could you ever spend it?" I could spend that in a weekend. In a to week. the listeners here, <laughs> yeah, we we've got a shopping list ready that we could quite easily get rid of a hundred ninety million back. If we won it on Friday, it'd be gone by Monday. That's brilliant. Jumbo Angel- Jets. Angeline would hate me saying that, wouldn't she? <laughs> she would, yeah. 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 She, you'd, have, you'd have so many ices, stocks and shares ices. <laughs> you wouldn't know what yeah. to do with them all. Yeah. Financial advisor's nightmare, yeah. And, and my, my financial <laughs> advisor, Peter, would be the same. He'd be like, no. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, I know you from our networking group, 
and we've got to know each other over the past couple of weeks. But just for everyone out there, we tell tell them a brief story of your your story from where you've gone from yeah. to where you are now, please. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for, for allowing Thank me you. to do that. The the background behind me is that my profession is a quantity surveyor. So I did a degree in quantity surveying and worked for construction businesses. Got fed up of making them lots of money and not getting uh, any myself. So I set up in my my own business. Uh, some some years ago now and had a business partner that didn't work out uh, as I thought and I don't do business partnerships very well apparently so I uh, went on my own and I've always since then had a business coach I've always had a coach but I've had lots of different businesses from a garden center an aviation company and the reason I became a, a coach Joe is that I had lots of coaches who came from a corporate background that were trying to help me as a small, medium-sized business, but didn't actually have any real business experience. So it was always my aim when I got to 50 to semi-retire and become a business coach so I could help other people using real experience get the success that they dreamed of. And I lost a friend, yeah. my best friend in the world, uh, Roland, uh, at quite a young age he was, and I was even younger, he was quite a bit older than me. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I can't do this, I can't live the rest of my life in the hope that one day I'll exit the business and live my dreams because he never got to do that so now I'm on a mission as a business coach to help people avoid the trap that Roland fell into of working really hard sacrificing so much and then because of ill health he you know, had a massive blood clot uh, and he died reaching out to open the door to let the ambulance in and no, no. Uh, yeah that was such so unfortunate and that, that changed my perspective. But then the banking crisis came along as well in 2009, a few years later. And yeah. I thought, you know what, oh, now's the time to quit. So I semi-retired at 42 instead of 50. And I've loved doing what I do every day since. And it's, it's about making people aware, be better educated, and most importantly, hold people accountable. And, you know, we had a one-to-one -one and the things we talked about, great. Because yeah. you've implemented some of the things of that podcast that I shared with you as well yeah, and that that's absolutely. the kind of people i want to work with yeah so that's oh, that's fantastic. me and that's why i'm so passionate about what i do i like that and i think a couple of things just to pick up on there i think from um from the coaching perspective it's it's so i think that's such a, a powerful thing that you said that you were being helped by people who have never been in the situation they've never been business yeah. owners so kind of how can how can they tell you what to do if they've not actually experienced it themselves so yeah. i think that's I mean, probably I, I, what I sets you apart gain, isn't it yeah we can gain so much in all our aspects of our life and i know the listeners will be thinking well sometimes you know i've bought things from people who hadn't used the product themselves uh, because we can learn through knowledge can't we and there's an element of that in certain aspects but and i had some good coaches don't get me wrong who didn't have the business experience but they're their structure and their mindset, their attitude and their drive and their passion for my success overcame that lack of experience and gave me some benefit. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm a great believer in you know, earning the stripes by doing the work and then you can teach others how to do the same, the Sherpa effect, I call it. Go up the mountain, come back down, show other people how to do it. Yeah. And again, like you said as well, um, I like that analogy, by the way, go yeah. up come out and then show everyone else how to do it. I like that. Yeah. Uh, there's another thing you mentioned there about um, education. And I, I, I've, I've come to, this is why I set this podcast up, because I found that there's a distinct lack of understanding and uh, about how to buy a house. And for a transaction so big, 
and so important to a lot of people, it's quite scary that people don't really know what's going on. So yeah. that's why the podcast came about, really, to help people out and share from other people's experiences. Yeah, and, and certainly as, as we're talking, I've not moved house very often. You know, I've only had three, three houses. The first one we evolved into as we renovated it and moved into it before we got married. Um, the other two were moves into homes. And yeah, there was no help, no expertise, no real insights to what happened next. You were in the hands of the solicitors and the estate agents and that was it. Yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. So going back to that first house that you ever bought, what do you remember about it? What What do you remember about how you felt when you picked up the keys and the process before that? Oh, that's an When was it question. that you bought that house? Uh, we bought it in 1991. And it was a, a semi, a very old semi, 1908, I think it was built. Uh, I remember thinking as we walked in, blimey, this is cold, because it was freezing cold. It was like a fridge, <laughs> even though it had central heating put into it. Um, and the other thing I, I remember was thinking about the mortgage. We just, you know, I just got a promotion. We got money. We were getting married the year after, and suddenly I'd taken on this huge, huge debt. I mean. So the listeners, this was a house that cost me £42,500 of mortgage. But the interest rate then was 7%. And within, I think, about six months of us moving in, the interest rate went to 15%. So people complain wow. about interest rates these days. Luckily, <laughs> we were on a fixed rate. But yeah, people around me were saying, how am I going to afford 15% interest rate? I mean, it, thankfully, it came quickly back down. But it was a terrifying... Uh, perspective of how we're going to afford afford this yeah a lot of people are facing that at the moment aren't they especially with the, the base rate going up again today i think a lot of people are, are worried um i think fixed rate market thankfully is quite stable still um and yeah. thankfully it's not linked to the bank of england base rate anymore which is good news so i think for all those listeners on standard variable rates or tracker rates maybe it's time to get fixed <laughs> yeah yeah, and, and I'm in that trap of that. And thanks for telling me it's gone up because I didn't, I've not heard that yet today. So you've just yeah. made my day. Thank you very much. There we are. <laughs> Coming live from Sky News. No, I'm joking. Yes, that's <laughs> There is one brilliant story that you told me uh, when we met last week uh, that I'd love for you to share with everyone. It's about the time that you got the keys ready to move in, but you couldn't quite, could you? No, no. And it was it was an interesting experience because it was our first experience of moving out of a home. And we decided to cut costs because we were on a budget and we bought a house. Uh, we got it for a good deal because it was part of a divorce settlement. The husband had moved out some 18 years before. His daughter had now become 18 and he was exercising his right to sell one half the house, sell the house, I want half of it. Uh, oh, he right. So he had moved out. Yeah, let yeah, his daughter before, grow up yeah. in there. Wow, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was the mum and the the wife, uh, sorry, the mum and the daughter that lived in there, uh, and of course they didn't want to move out. It was their home. They lived in it for some sixteen, seventeen years after he moved out, and they really didn't want to move out. Which you'll see the the reason I'm mentioning that in in a moment. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't have much money at the time to move, so we decided to do it all ourselves. So uh, my wife organised a couple of Luton vans. We had people helping us. Uh, I'd got a building company at the time. I was working on my own business. And 
we had some joiners follow us to the house because they were going to put some gates up and some fence up to keep the dogs in. So a guy turned into our house uh, that was moving into our house. He came from the army. And you know what it's like when you move from the, the forces. They help you yeah. move, don't they? So this big yeah. company came in. It was massive Arctic. Eight guys. And we were literally fighting to keep ahead of them, moving stuff out uh, as they were trying to move in. But we got on really well and we've been friends ever since. But we turned up, listeners, at this uh, new house that we'd now got the key from. The solicitor told us it's ours. It's all taken place. We turned up and I knocked on the door. And this woman comes to the door and she said, hello, can I help you? Said, yep, it's Simon. And she, and she looked at me really vacant. And I said, we've, we've bought your house. And she looked at me and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I meant to call you. Yeah, my daughter's been really ill. She's had a cold for the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, we've not had a chance to, uh, to pack or to move. So, yeah, you're going to have to come back another day. So we've got <laughs> everything in the vans. Guy's there, ready to put fencing up. Uh, and she just, yeah, she didn't want to go. The house that she was moving into wasn't complete, so she couldn't move her stuff into it. That was a real reason. But she didn't want to go anyway. She loved the house that she was in, and we loved it uh, just as much as she did when we eventually moved in. But we literally, and listeners, you're probably going to think this is quite harsh, but we were told to by the solicitors, we literally helped her move her stuff out of the house, and she put it in, in her car. We took a van full to a new house for her which was a, an old one she was refurbishing and the rest of the stuff we helped to take to the local uh, waste tip because she got nowhere else yeah. to put it but we had to get her out of the house I mean you know we got well, you know, sure my wife dogs yeah it was my house yeah and the solicitor yeah. said if you don't get her out she's going to be coming a sit you know a squatter basically if you don't get her out yeah. so get her out Gosh. it's yours but yeah interesting afternoon I must say yeah, lots I can of phone imagine. calls happening uh, lots of money being transferred she got half, her husband had got half. Yeah, oh, it was just horrible. Sticky yeah. situation, especially when they broke up, what, nearly 20 years ago, 18 years ago. That's a yeah. sticky situation to get in the middle of. And like you say, yeah. moving house is always a stressful situation, no matter what, yeah. what, the, what the end product is. So to get there and the refusal, I can imagine, bruh, steam was probably coming out your ears. Well, it would have mine anyway. It, it would. And, you know, I learned a couple of valuable lessons there. Uh, one, communicate with the people that are involved in the process more. So the mortgage advisor, the solicitor, you know, the estate agent, because they weren't very communicative, communicative. And we really didn't push them because we just assumed that they were doing their jobs well. Yeah. But something had broken down. Nobody had checked that this woman was actually ready to move out. The wow. estate agent hadn't. Our solicitor hadn't, her solicitor hadn't. So there were lots of things that we realised that you know it was important to checking ourselves and take responsibility of ourselves of the process rather than just leave it in the hands of of the professionals as well. Um, yeah, and I think we had a good set of professionals, but we 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 just learned to get involved more ourselves as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think massively there what you've said there is communication is key, isn't it? In, in well in every aspect of life uh, but uh, especially a transaction like this everyone needs to know what's going on um, and understanding what's going on they say that nowadays there's so much information out there um, so having a little bit of um, 
understanding of what's going on is really powerful. Um, that's like, I still can't believe that she was <laughs> refusing I can to still leave. see the look on her face when she was like, "Oh yes, I meant to ring you." Incredible. <laughs> I meant to ring you. That's brilliant. Now she could have got a role on EastEnders with that acting. <laughs> but, but my daughter's ill. You know, Joe, listeners, there wasn't one single thing. All the furniture, the wardrobes have still got closing. The cabinets in the kitchen have still got food in and crockery. You know, she hadn't done a single thing not a thing wow. no attempt to pack up at all that's that's incredible isn't it it's a good job you had a team of people in a few vans that you could uh, help her out absolutely. with absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so you mentioned you've moved was it three times you've moved now we're in our third house yeah yeah third so house. Moved, moved out twice moved into somewhere three times yeah yeah is this the last time do you think um was that it it is probably, but we're not going to stay in this house. This is quite a big house yeah. and we're on quite a large plot of land because the house we're in now is our dream house. As I said, with my friend died, yeah. we always talked about what we wanted to do when we exited our business. So I decided, you know, why wait till I finish my business? Why not do it now? So yeah. uh, we moved into the house where we've got land, we've got horses, we've got sheep, we've got dogs, uh, we've got quite a lot of land around us and it's in a very nice village. And our aim is to literally move to the bottom paddock. We've got two paddocks, top paddock and the bottom paddock uh, on separate deeds. So our aim is to build a retirement bungalow on the stable block on the bottom paddock, which I think we'll quite easily get planned permission to do, fingers crossed, uh, and then eventually move into that downscale on the animals. And then we can enjoy our lives and travel and make use of all the wonderful pensions and investments that other people have helped us with and just, yeah, have, a, have something that's more accessible. So we might have to carry the furniture about 200 yards <laughs> down to the bottom of the paddock, but that's it. That's as far as we're going. You could probably manage that. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I don't think I have to get a removal company to do that. I might get some friends to help us, but yeah. Nothing more. That's what friends are for, isn't it? That is, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely is. Oh, dear, I love that. So what advice would you give to people who are looking to move house or buy their first house? From your ex from your own experience oh uh, one very simple one and this is what i teach people in business uh, as well is have a clear clear picture of what you want to move into so when we moved into this house we knew and we drew out and we found photos on the internet and we pasted them together and we had a crystal clear picture of what it was that we wanted and we also knew what we didn't want so having that, we found this house, I think I said to you when we met, the idea was to move in, to find a house and move into it within five years. We set the clear picture on August the 22nd and we moved into here on November the 20th of the same year. And that's, that's the power of having that clear picture of where you want to, to move to. Uh, of course, the mistake, the mistake I made when I moved into here the guy wanted a quick sale and he wanted somebody who already sold their house and I've got no mortgage set up. I've got no idea if I could afford it. And in those days, as long as you signed a piece of paper, you could have a mortgage. That's not the case now. So definitely the lesson would be to check that affordability. And I learned that from the previous two houses and I should have learned it for this one. Check that affordability, check you can have the finance uh, as, as well and choose a good team. Choose it, you know, I've used the same solicitors every single house um you know so definitely worth 
making sure you've got a good team around you to help you with it. But the, the vision yeah. of what you want is absolutely crucial. Yeah, I think so. I, I completely agree with that. Um, funnily enough, me, me and my uh, my wife were doing the same, as in we were looking with what well, we just by ha- happened to have a have a browse on Rightmove instead of scrolling on Facebook for a change, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. we came across a house. I was like, oh, I know where that house is. We had a look and we fell in love. We're not in a position to move at the moment, but it gave us that okay. In the next couple of years, this is what we want to do. And we're not going to settle for anything less. What do we need to do to get to that point? So the saving, the earning as much money as we can. So we can, you know, for me, I'm self-employed. So I can say, look, I can get a mortgage because I'm earning this much money. So like you say, getting yourself in the best position, isn't it possible? Yeah. It is. And really you can is. reverse engineer it back then, can't you? And you can see what it's like saying, I want to climb the summit of Everest, as we'll talk about the Sherpa effect, but then understanding the base camps that you've got to get to to help you get there you don't just go to the top of Everest and come back down you go up in base camps those base camps are the the, the steps that you're talking about there aren't they so yeah see yes, it's a, a journey of steps definitely yeah I do just want to circle back to something now mm. I find this very cool and I know, and I know about this because you've told me um, but when you mentioned about the your uh, past history in business you mentioned an aviation company so can you just tell yeah. the listeners all about that because I find this so cool yeah well as I said in business I've always had a business coach some good ones some not so good ones but the one thing I found was that I had a rhythm of making money and getting more time. So I would uh, earn quite a good amount of money. Then I had more time on my hands, so I set up multiple companies. And I got to the point where I think I got three or four businesses on the go uh, at a particular time in hot tubs, not jacuzzis, or outdoor (laughs) spas as we used to call them. Uh, But hot tubs were certainly the best thing, best business I ever had from a profit generation point of view. Uh, and yeah, I've got these businesses and I sat there and I thought, you know what, I've got, I'm working two and a half days a week. I'm enjoying the motorcycle racing and sponsoring that and getting involved in that. But, uh, and I went up with a friend of mine for a flight in his Cessna and he always pestered me. You ought to learn to fly. You ought to learn to fly. But I suffered terribly with motion sickness, dreadfully. And I said, look, and this was Roland. I said, Roland, it just doesn't interest me at all. Yeah. It's nice to go up. I enjoy the jolly. We go somewhere, we have a bacon butty and we come back. But yeah, that, that's it. It's about as much as I enjoy it. And he said, well, I can understand that. He said, I, I'm, I've learned to fly helicopters. And I'd been to see Tony Robbins and I'd heard him share a story about flying helicopters. This is the bit I didn't tell you. About flying helicopters and flying over the ocean and low down, seeing dolphins swim out of the waves as they were wow. breaking and flying over in his helicopter and flying over his first ever gig in a helicopter and seeing people queuing and thinking, blimey, how are the people going to get to my event with all these people queuing up in the traffic? <laughs> Not realising that those nine and a half thousand people were there to see him wow. uh, as, uh, instead. So that really inspired me. So I learned to fly a helicopter, learned it very quickly because I got the time. And uh, yeah, I, I bought a little Robinson 22, a little uh, two-seater, uh, bought it and ran it as an aviation company and I used to go to all the race meetings in it as well so I've been to you know all the race circuits around the UK not, not too far afield uh, so Cadwell Park, Donington and used to go in in my little Cessna uh, so my little Robinson with all these other massive helicopters around me worth millions and my little two-seater <laughs> there 
uh, amongst them. So yeah, good experience, and I, and I love doing it. I had it for about five or six years. In fact, I've got a just looking up there I've got on the wall. I've got a painting of the helicopter I used to own up on the wall. But yeah, oh, wow. it's, it's a very good way of spending money. I can imagine. Uh, I can imagine losing yeah. a lot of money as well. Yeah. They lose money as soon as you start them up. They really do. Oh really? Is it like a new car driving off the forecourt and there? It's it it is. Money. Yeah, well, they have a finite life. So the more you fly them, the quicker you run out of the hours before they have to be completely rebuilt. And a rebuild oh, wow. is you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds because you literally strip it back to the frame and rebuild it. So every time you fly it, you're getting closer to that, that ter- you know, to death of the helicopter, really. Wow. That's quite a scary, <laughs> scary it thing, is. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh! Well, I'm glad that uh, glad that you're you're okay and <laughs> you're yeah, yeah. still with us. <laughs> the, the ironic thing I will just share with uh, with the listeners is that I used to keep it about three miles up from where we live, and never had a house where I could actually bring it and land it. And when okay. I bought this house, one of the reasons we bought it and we still kept our old house and rented it out was that the money I saved from the finance on the helicopter helped pay for the mortgage for the house. So I had to get rid of the helicopter to buy the house because that gave me um, you know, that monthly income to, to spend on the house. So I've got a house where I can land it and I haven't got a helicopter. <laughs> one, so one, lower, day, one day I'm going to get somebody to fly me into this house uh, and, and like land it. it just to say that I've done it. I like it. You've got it, haven't you? Were, yeah. were you going to get like some spray paint and do a massive H on the garden? Oh, yeah, you have to. Yeah, yeah. yeah just so <laughs> the neighbours can see it. Yeah, look what I've got. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's brilliant. So do you still have the the house that you rent out? Have you still got that? No, we because the housing market, you think uh, when we moved, it was 2007. So the housing market okay. just bottomed at that yeah. point. And the house that we had, which was worth about 190, 200,000, was dropping every single month to the point where it was only worth about 140,000. And that was wow. less than the mortgage or about the mortgage we owed on it. So I thought, do you know what? Yeah, we're going to keep it. We rented it out and I'll wait for it to get back up to that 180, 190,000, which took quite a long while, actually, in fairness. But we did get to that point. And as soon as we got to that point, we sold it. Obviously, if we'd gone any more than that, it would have been capital gains. So we sold it literally for what it was valued at when we moved out. So there's no capital gains to pay on it. Uh, and uh, yeah, we we walked away, cleared the mortgage, and had a bit of money in our pockets as well. So that was so that was good. Very good strategy. Very good strategy. Because I think a lot of people would have panicked around that time. Um, but I think one one safe bet. Well, not safe bet, but over history, I think you always see that property prices they might have their dips, but over a long yeah. period of time, they always seem to go up. Yeah, yeah. And if they so, go up quickly, then, generally you're never going to come down to a base level no. quickly as well. You know, what goes up must come down. There's helicopter pilots. That's it. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Now you are you are um, you are a successful businessman, um, and I think being in, living the dream that you've lived, um, you've wanted the house, you've got the house. You've wanted the business, you've got the business. So for everyone listening out there, and including myself, what sort of um, advice would you give someone? to to aspire to to reach their dreams oh um i'll put you on the spot there two 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 things the the first one is having that clear vision of where you go so it's it's a bit like the house you know 
understanding where you want your business to go, where you want your life to go. You know, I've just done a business planning session for Lincoln University this morning in a workshop. So having that clarity of the plan and where you want to be, again, absolutely essential. That's that's the first and foremost. The second thing, and it's been the lifeline for me, and I've got two coaches even to this day, it's buy accountability. Because if you think your friends and your family are going to hold you accountable, yes, they will. And having peers hold you accountable. But in all my working life, I've always purchased accountability. Because I want somebody who I'm paying to hold me accountable so they're not frightened to give me a kick up the backside when I need it. To challenge me on why I'm not doing what I'm doing. And when I've had my plans, I've always exceeded those plans. And it purely, it's not because of skill. It's because of it being held accountable to get things done. Because most of us, we all have access to the same information, but what we have that's different is the level of accountability. Some of us can do it ourselves. I'm not one of those people that is too disciplined on that, so I need accountability. But anybody that wants success, have a clear vision and then buy accountability, definitely. That's fantastic. Do you know what? When we met uh, last week, uh, me and Simon met and... I was, I said, you know, I was struggling a little bit with getting things done. I felt a bit fuzzy headed at times. And you yeah. said, write a list, write priority lists and, and just work your way through and get the, the ones that are the most prior, most prioritized. Is that even the right way of saying yeah, it? Sounds good to me. The highest priority. Let's go with that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've started doing that. And do you know what? At the end of the day, I feel so much more fulfilled. My list might not be that long, but because I've ticked off the list and I've done what I said I was going to do, I feel so much more, um, I feel satisfied with, with my day. I'm not coming home going, oh, I think I should have done this. I may have should have, may have done that. I'm structuring my days better and I feel so much better for it. Yeah. So thank and, you. And, I yeah, I think that. going back to the, the home buying experience, you know, having that vision of the house was great. But I think, you know, everybody listening to this, does need to do the same sort of list like these are the things that i need to have in place to make my dream come true you know we talked exactly. about the base camps but then having that accountability if i'd have held the solicitors more accountable for that communication they wouldn't have had the episode with the, the woman and the house we're in now we still had a huge problem moving into it um but we were more in control of it because we were working through that list and those priorities and yeah, I was holding my team accountable. I was holding the guy we were buying from the house accountable and he was holding me accountable as well. We agreed a deadline which we still was going to get done and it slipped, but it only slipped by a bit because we were in control of it. It didn't have the, the catastrophic effect that the other house did. So yeah, yeah that's, that's a good tip all the way through. Definitely. And, and I feel as well, it's very easy to blame. Oh, the vendor is not doing this. Your solicitor, my solicitor, blah, blah. But if you've got a common goal, he wants to move out. You want to move in. Let's work together to get this done. And yeah, I think that's fantastic advice, that is Simon. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I, you know, I have lots of people ask me that question that are in business, whether they're in my one-to-one -one programs or in my group programs. Uh, most of what I do is in group now. But a lot of people come to me and say, you know, I keep telling people what to do and they just keep coming back, either doing it wrong or they've not done it as I wanted it doing or they've not understood what I've said. Is it me? And I say, you know, every time you think, is it me? The answer always, always is, yes, it is. Because it starts <laughs> yeah. from you. 
So if ever any of you listeners think, Gee, why does this keep happening to me? Is it me? The answer is always, yes, it is. Work on yourself first. Fix that bit first, because that's the thing you can take control of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think sometimes, you know, you, you are your, your own biggest critic, but also your own biggest fan at times. And when you mention about family keeping you accountable, there's many times where I've gone, oh, I've, I've put my own tail on what's happened. And my parents went, it's OK, son, all around like that, like parents do, because that's that's their job. Yeah. But it's not going, actually, let's revisit this. Was it your fault or could you have done better? Actually, you know, when you look at it and they're honest with yourself, yeah, you could. Uh, yeah. I could definitely have done better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. My grandma always used to say there's three sides to a story. Their side, your side and the truth. <laughs> it's yeah. true, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Everyone's got and, their own version. Again, tying it back into the into the home moving. You know, if, if I'm looking you know, for a great mortgage advisor such as yourself or a solicitor to help me with with moving, it's about not just me holding them accountable. Choose people that hold you accountable. I don't want a solicitor where I'm going to have to ring him. You know, I've got problems with my car still, Joe. Uh, oh, but no. it's moving. It's progressing now a little bit. But every time I ring the VW person, she said, oh, thanks for ringing me. I said, yeah, you said you were going to ring me this morning. It's now 2.30. You haven't rung me. Yeah, but I appreciate you ringing me. I don't want anybody on my team that I've got to do that. I'd rather select people on my team. I've got no control over VW, unfortunately, although I've raised quite a few complaints. But I want people like yourself that are involved in the home buying process that are saying, where's the information? Where's, where's the, the content that I asked for? Where are the wage slips that I asked for? You know, have you signed the paperwork yet? I don't want me having to chase people. I want people who are going to chase me and hold me accountable because that's what I need because I know that's yeah. a weakness of mine. And it's a weakness of most yeah. people. I think as well, when you have that um, open line of communication, a couple of things happen. People get more comfortable asking questions, which is good. And then the knowledge for that person you're speaking to, or from my point of view, I'm speaking to them, their knowledge increases and they feel more comfortable because they know where they're at. Yeah. Um, I always do my appointments now over video call. Because I think sometimes when you're on a phone, you don't get the interaction and the uh, trust building that you need for a, for a transaction like this. I and find you can't see the expressions are people are pulling, can you? If you yeah. say something, you can't see them go, wow, eyebrows up. Oh, what do you mean by that? Completely agree. And many yeah. a time I go, I've not explained that very well because I can see you've not quite got that. And then I've explained yes. it a different way and they've gone, thank you appreciate that because sometimes you have been there and I bet you've been there where someone said something to you and you're going yeah okay what <laughs> not, not not really taking it in or not understood yeah. but you don't necessarily feel confident enough to go I have no idea what you've said <laughs> yeah and, and I mean that's one thing I've learned in construction is you know simple language works a check understanding but if I don't understand it then I'll ask I'll say look you know, I know this might be a silly question, but listeners, there never is such a thing as a silly question. No. Now, the silly questions, in my experience, are usually the best ones. Yeah, because they're definitely. the they're the good answers that you get. So yeah, don't don't be afraid of saying, "I'm sorry, I don't understand that." Can you just go through that again, or can I just clarify this? Yeah, every, every single yeah. time. And I bet you know when you said you've been to the university, some workshops. I bet when you're speaking to students, I bet if one's thinking it, 
they're or the majority are thinking exactly the same as that person. I remember when I was in the military and they were teaching us stuff, I'd be there, put my hand up like, can I ask you a question? And then everyone's like, oh, so glad that you asked that because I've no bloody idea what and you, And you can see about. them all nodding their heads as well. But, but yeah. you're right about the expressions. I had somebody um, on the workshop this morning, I think, about, I think about 14 on the workshop, and it was an online workshop, so it was done by Zoom. And I said, has anybody got any questions? And they're all like, no, no, no. And one guy said no, but his face didn't. And I, and, I, and I pulled him back out and I said, I can't remember what his name was now, um, Richard. I said, Richard, you're saying no. You haven't got any questions, but your face is looking confused. Which bit of what I've just gone through do perhaps you want me to go through again? No, 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 I'm all good. Thanks. Oh, but can I just ask? <laughs> so he still said no. But because I gave him that little bit of space, because the thing is, when somebody does say that, don't jump in on them and say, oh, OK, yeah. good, we've got no questions. Just leave a little bit of a pause, because generally then they will step in and, mm, OK, seeing as though you've asked. Have a think about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll ask this, yeah. yeah. Build yeah. up the confidence. Oh, Give them That's fantastic. Yeah. We're, we're a strange breed, aren't we, people? Humans. <laughs> a strange breed. But Yeah, and I don't know who's going to be listening to this from whichever country you're in, but I certainly find people in, in England, the United Kingdom, are unique in some of the way that they react. You know, the Americans wouldn't do that. The Americans would just straight away go there and ask a question or say something. Uh, you know, they do that where, where, where sometimes we're too polite. Yeah, here. Yeah, way too polite. I think that's very, very, very true, isn't it? Very, yeah. far too polite. Yeah. Simon, I want to thank you so much for coming on and being the first guest of the Home Buyer Club yeah. podcast. Some of your stories have been absolutely well. All of your stories that you've told me today have been absolutely fantastic. I've really appreciated them. I've heard, I've heard some of these before, and they still <laughs> got me smiling and laughing. So maybe smile every time <laughs> I, really I tell them. Appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, I know you host your own podcast as well, so could you tell the, the listeners where they can find your podcast and where they can find you as well yeah. as a coach? Yeah, so, so like you, guests are a key on my podcast, so you know every guest has to bring some stories and bring some tips to share, and I know you're booked to be a guest as well, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, so if you go on any of the platforms and search for Sterling's, that's S-T-E-R, not I-R, Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, you'll find it on uh, all the platforms and there's about 200 and something episodes uh, wow. a re one of my favorite incredible guests that i've had uh went live just yesterday on the first of february a guy called sebastian bates so uh, uh got some really really great guests one of them was a nasa uh instructor who teaches astronauts and he deals with the last part of the test and basically if you fail his part of the test you can't be an astronaut and he shares a story of that. Wow. So, yeah, some incredible stories. So, yeah, yeah. I love podcasting uh, and I love the fact that you're doing this. So, well, well done. And listeners, yeah, check out as many as you can. Thank you very much. Again, Simon, thank you very much for coming on. Guests, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed today. Um, please follow for more content like this and don't forget to join the club and I will see you on the next one. Thank you very much. Thanks, Leave Simon. Leave us a review. Leave us a review. We like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Got to leave a review. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, guys.